Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. Um, it is always a delight to have Dean Kirshner here, uh, and, and whatever part of the family happens to be with him. Today is Adriel and Lydia, and Olga is somewhere in here too, and it's great to have them. Um, as a matter of fact, um, I told Adriel when I saw him before, man, you've grown since the last time. I, that's what happens with kids, right? Uh, we get older, uh, we don't change as much, but they change a whole lot. And um, Dean is a dear friend, has been for many years. Um, and most, many of you know him, but there are some of you who are new and you don't know him. You don't know about Gospel Link and the ministry. He's going to share some of that with you as, as, as he shares the word with us today. Why don't you welcome Dean as he comes? Thanks. Oh, what a joy it is to be here. Um, Every time I come here, I think, well, I'm going to come back here two or three times a year. Troy says, I'm welcome any time, but I tell you, I'm not sitting around sipping lemonade. Um, In 2017, I went overseas three times, and uh, jet lag once a year is enough, but to get it three times, that's pretty heavy. I also spoke around the country 35 times, and there's only so many weekends you can do that. I'm actually gone on weekends more than I'm home, Um, but it's a joy to do what I do, and it's a privilege to uh, help people be involved in God's kingdom work and uh, let them know about it. You know, we get plenty of bad news, don't you? You can get bad news every night by turning on the TV. And uh, after a while, it uh, burdens you. It discourages you. You think, man, what's going to happen to the next generation? What's going on in the world? The world is going to hell in a handbasket, right? But I tell you, there is a hand that has a nail scar that reaches down into that handbasket and saves people every day. And it's precious to see and be a part of and know and uh, see what God's doing in other countries. When I first came to Gospel Link, I said, Lord, I am not going to go around and tell these miserable poverty stories of people in third world countries to try to get money out of people. Uh, I don't believe God needs our money, right? God knows, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He knows where all the gold in South Africa is. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to use man's techniques to be a fundraiser. That's not, that's not the Lord's work. And I remember struggling with, you know, being called to this, being led to this, and the Lord said, go tell people what I'm doing. So I want, that's, that's my calling for you. Uh, people need to lift up their eyes and know what the church looks like. And, and I'm finite. You know, I'm not in every country. I haven't, been every, and I haven't even been to every continent. Uh, but, it's, but I get a really unique perspective of what God is doing in his church that doesn't look like an American church. And uh, the Holy Spirit is not slowing down. We are in harvest days. And, it's, and, and I'm encouraged. I'm not discouraged. Now, again, part of that is because I get hundreds of reports from national preachers all over the world, and uh, I don't watch the news. So <laughs> there's, a, there's a combination there. Um, so uh, this is my family, and I know enough of you know us that uh, i got to give a little report. I can't go through all six of them because that would be a sermon in itself, but... Uh, Everyone loves Emmanuel and prays for Emmanuel. For those of you who don't know, Emmanuel uh, was born with some birth issues three years ago, so he is three now. He spent over 70 days in Children's Hospital and then had open-heart surgery after that. Uh, little Emmanuel's doing great. He uh, learned to walk about 12 months ago. Yeah. 
and uh, he is learning to talk. He loves to talk. We didn't know how sure his, his verbal ability would be, but recently I went and got him out of bed. I said, okay, big doogie, it's time to get up. It's morning. And he said, woof, woof. <laughs> and I laughed. I said, that's right. You know what the doggie says, don't you? He says, woof, woof. I said, what's the kitty say? Meow. And I picked him up out of his crib, and I says, what does Emmanuel say? I didn't know what he was going to answer. And he said, he looked at me and says, Papa. <laughs> so in their way and in their spirit, they communicate um, at different ages and different ways. But he's a blessing to us and uh, is doing well and uh, still working with vocabulary skill. Unfortunately, in my house, we have a, I don't know if it's an advantage or a disadvantage. All my children learn to talk late. It makes my wife worry. Uh, she, she thinks none of our children are going to be verbal and loquacious. Um, I guess she doesn't understand genetics very well, but uh, we have two languages at our house. My mother-in-law stays with us some of the time, and so she speaks a constant flourish of Russian to them, and so their little minds have to deal with two languages for a long time, but eventually they all speak, and uh, most of them two languages. So uh, we praise God for what he's doing in our life and our family. There's a lot of fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in our family. Again, I could go on and on more about that, but uh, I'm going to focus a little more on what God's doing in our ministry in our life. Uh, again, if I don't say something about Emmanuel, I'll get peppered with questions afterwards, and a long line of people will want to know. But again, my, my wife was gracious enough to come. She's uh, an outgoing introvert, so she doesn't like crowds as much as I do. Uh, she's not an introvert, or she's not a She's not a withdrawn. She loves people and loves crowds, but I overdo it for her too much. So really glad she's here. I welcome her. Uh, love to be here. I've had two people pray for me already this morning. You know how many people go to church around this country and no one pulls them aside and prays for them? And if you didn't get prayed for this morning, uh, come an hour earlier. They'll pray for you. You can be a part of praying for someone else. That's a real ministry here that is unique and powerful and dynamic. It's not something we do statically. It's not something we do in front of an icon or a candle. We seek the Lord's face. We stop and listen. And we have communion with the Creator. It's precious. Uh, next slide. I'm kind of a storyteller. And... Uh, I like to wrap stories around key points, so I'm not going to go into a three-point sermon. I think I only have a two-point sermon, and I'm going to accentuate it with things I see God doing. But I want you to get a hold of this, and I may have mentioned this before here. Uh, I can't remember. It's been, again, it's been a while since I've been here and shared about Gospel Link, but this is a unique aspect of our God. God doesn't need us. There's been a theological debate for a long time. I'm of the personal opinion that God doesn't need us. There was no need in the Trinity where he needed man or he needed angels. Uh, and I cannot see the mind of God or see the scope of eternity and understand all reasons behind existence. Okay, The Bible does not try to explain all spiritual existentialism. Uh, but God created us and made us and from the very beginning he gave us a partnership in his work. Adam and Eve had a perfect union and a perfect marriage, no competition, and they tended the garden. 
And they ate well, and they had fellowship, not only with one another, but with God every day. And you know the feeling and the sensation that happens when you build a house together, or you pull off a party, or you close a deal. I have worked with reprobates in the construction company. And over years, you bond with them. You know why? Because we had a common goal that we put our efforts together. We put our shoulders to the plow and we accomplished that goal. There's something about striving together with someone that binds your soul with them. Now again, at different degrees, and obviously that's why marriage is the closest human bond where God takes a man and woman and brings children and they have to raise them for more than a couple years. <laughs> that's effort. That's labor. But God, from the beginning, had that picture of giving, here's this awesome, amazing earth. Now take care of it. Let's develop it. Let's go forward. When he called Abraham in Israel, he put the promised land for the Israelites right at the economic crossroads of that millennium between Egypt and Babylon so that everyone that passed by could see, wow, this nation is different. This nation is unique. How come they don't have the venereal disease and the childhood deaths and the sanitation problems and the marriage issues and the suicide that is going on in our society? Oh, because they serve Yahweh. He gave them a book and a code of how to live. They don't rule by power only. They have a code of ethics. And he put them there and said, show the world who I am. He made them, in a sense, a spiritual co-worker to reach the lost pagan world. Well, today we're under the new covenant. Jesus Christ has come. The veil is rent in two. We have access to the Holy of Holies through his intercession. And I love this small little verse in 1 Corinthians. Paul is not making a long, detailed theological treatise out of this. He just sort of mentions it. But it's actually articulated better in a parable that Jesus gives in Matthew 20. Where Jesus goes down, to, or the parable says that the man goes down and sees all these people standing idle. And he didn't go to the beach. He went down to the marketplace. <laughs> I mean, the beach is where we expect to be idle. It says he went to the marketplace. He went around. He says, why are you sitting here doing nothing? Now, it's interesting because I don't think those people were just sitting playing checkers. I think they didn't have any purpose. What are you doing? What's the point? Midlife crises are a major, major problem in Western society. Why? Because we work and we strive and we raise our kids and we get to this certain age like, what for? Where are we going? Because everything was self-centered or success-centered or money-centered. Even when it's family-centered, it's short of Christ. And the Lord says, why do you stand idle? And if you read the parable, it says, no one has hired us. Basically, we don't know what to do. We don't know why we're here. We don't know where we're going. And we don't know where we came from. That's why we got this. Isn't that great? I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. I know why I'm here. 
And one of those aspects is I get to be a co-laborer with Jesus Christ. Folks, Donald Trump doesn't call me up for advice. Right? Barack Obama, I wasn't in his cell phone. You know, give me some insight on the international situation in Africa. Now what, that, but the God who breathes out stars invites me to come work for him. Do you know how many Americans are struggling with significance? I don't matter. If I died, it wouldn't, it wouldn't affect anyone, right? It's a wonderful life. I'd be better off dead than alive. Where do these lies come from? Yeah. And they, they saturate our society until we have to take drugs or alcohol or drown ourselves in entertainment. And the Lord says, come work for me. Come work for me. The fact that I am an ambassador of the Most High God, even if he is invisible, gives me significance. You are important here. It's not because you're smart or educated. In fact, I'll tell you the truth, we're all broken. If you're not broken yet, stand by. Okay? I used to hear sermons about how God breaks people and breaks people. And I used to pray, oh, Lord, you know, I, I'll serve you. Just don't break me too much. You know, that's not, we live on a broken planet. Something's going to break. You're going to have broken relationships. You're going to have dreams that are broken. Your health is going to break. And yet the Lord says, come work for me. I'll use you. I'll make you significant. Let me tell you, there are things, hear me, there are things in your life that God has prepared for you that no one else on the planet can execute. You know how significant that is? That's significant. I can't do it. Pastor Troy can't do it. Billy Graham can't do it. There is a good word. There is a good deed. There is someone's life. There's a ride to give. There's a praise letter. There's a thank you letter that God wants to use you to speak, to write, to do that no one else can do. Come work for me. Now, personally, this has applied to me, interestingly, overseas more than locally. Next slide. I went to Russia. I know some of you, most of you know me, but some of you don't. I lived in Moscow, Russia for over five years. I don't have Russian descent. I didn't have a heart for Russia. I went on a 10-week mission trip. Next slide. It turned into five years. Um, it's cold there. It's actually not colder than it is in the United States, but it's colder longer. Speaking of cold, what's going on here? You know, Lamar is up in Virginia, and he, he's, he sent back uh, this morning that uh, it's so cold up there, there, he saw a lawyer with his hands in his own pockets. <laughs> Next slide. That's not exactly true. That's my, my joke, but uh, I got to be careful, too. My brother's a lawyer, and he, he's one of my personal supporters, so... <laughs> Oh, next slide. There was all kinds of opportunities when I was in Russia, and I realized that um, we don't go overseas to be missionaries, but the Lord at an early age opened my eyes to the opportunities that are there for the American church. And most of us are not called to go overseas. Most of us are not sent to another country, right? But in this global community, the church has more and more opportunities to be involved. Next slide. 
Here's a guy named Vlad Rudenko. You can tell by that name, he's not American, right? Vlad Rudenko. He lives in Ukraine. See that picture? If you see behind him, he's sitting in front of there. He's standing there in front of uh, the parliament building in Kiev. Remember three years ago when that was shot to pieces? They firebombed it. Over 150 people were killed. They, no one knew how bad it was going to get in Kiev. The government was corrupt. They were backing Russia. People were sick of it. They found out this corruption. They just stormed it. It was really a coup d'etat, getting rid of the bad guy. It's kind of a little bit unusual. Put us in an interesting political situation. Do we back the good guys when they're illegal, right? Non-politically, Vlad went up there just days after the conflict ended. Next slide. He set up an art, uh, I know what you would call it, I guess an exhibition. And uh, hundreds of people poured in the capital just as kind of tourists, just to see what happened. They wanted to see it. They wanted to see what happened. Let's go get a piece of, let's go get an artillery shell. You know how people are um, historical artifact finders. I mean, it was fresh history, but people just wanted to see it. You know how many Americans set up a gospel presentation there? You know where the Americans were? When the fighting started, they got in the airplane and got out. Now, I don't blame them. It's very hard to lead people to the Lord. It's very hard to evangelize when they're shooting, right, under machine gun fire. I don't find fault with that. I'm not pointing out, like, I'm not saying they're cowards or fearful, but there is a difference in the approach to evangelism if you're a national person than there is if you live there. Next slide. Vlad didn't have to go to language school before he got to Kiev. He had to take a five-hour train ride. They didn't get jet lag flying over the ocean. Next slide. Passed out hundreds of New Testaments. Shared the gospel with his countrymen who had never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Now, is it their fault? Sure. They could get on the internet. They could go down to the bookstore and get a Bible. But people live in darkness. People think religion is just for the weak or the infirmed or the broken. Jesus is a crutch, right? Boy, when you're, bad, when you're lame, that's not bad. <laughs> Next slide. Vlad Rodenko lives in one of the, a meager, Soviet-built, little two-bedroom apartment. It's not something my wife would want to live in, although that's where she grew up. <laughs> not somewhere you and I live. They have hot water, they have electricity, so they're not impoverished, but they're pretty meager. Pretty much, he is able to live and survive on $400 a month. He can live on $100 a week. Can you? I can't. I have six kids, and they're becoming teenagers. And I'm buying my lentils wholesale. <laughs> Gospel Inc. has a program set up where we raise money for these national guys. They each get a ministry sponsorship of $40, an outreach sponsorship of $30, and a training sponsorship of $20. If you count that up, that's $90. Now, the one on the left, they get three of those. So in total, it's actually $170. And GospelLink takes a little bit of that out to cover costs of paper and shipping and correspondence and us going over on trips there to, for accountability purposes. But can you imagine trying to live on $150 a month. Folks, it changes their life. 
When I came to Gospel Inc., my director said, I need you to commit for three years. I said, man, I've, I don't commit to anything for three years. I married my wife. That's the, I've, that's the only commitment I've got over three years. He said, no, you've got to go three years. I said, I'll give you two. He said, three or nothing. It's like, ah. That was 17 years ago. I'm not doing this because I need a job. I'm doing this because I've seen it change life after life after life. Their children are going to school because they get support from the United States. Makes a difference in their life. One preacher, $170 a month. Now, again, this isn't about money, honestly. This is about you and I with the privilege of being co-laborers for Christ. You should give to this local church. Right? I didn't run this sermon by Troy. And I know it's always sensitive to preach about giving at your church. The scripture is pretty clear. If people feed you spiritually, they care for you spiritually, they minister to you spiritually, you do not muzzle the ox that treads out the grain. Paul is kind of a small ox, but he needs grain. Right? But you know when you give to your local church, you get something. You get a nice padded seat. You get one of the best praise music in this country. You get the word of God. You get a man of God that prays and studies. Right? You get something. I'm not saying that's bad. You're not paying for it. It's not, you don't pay church dues. But honestly, as you give to your local church, you're giving. You're, you're getting something out of it. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not condemning that. That's part of the system. We give and we take. We give and we take. We are, none of us are independently wealthy that's a fallacy that america is hoisting in front of people try to be totally independent no god designed the church and the family to be codependent now that has a negative side of it i understand that but we are codependent on each other relationally and sometimes financially but when you give to one of these preachers overseas guess what you get back nothing that is a sacrifice of righteousness you give to someone who can't pay you back, that's given to the Lord in a unique way. Next slide. Second thing I got I to emphasize to you that, uh, again, if we're co-labors for Christ, we are privileged to have lots to do, right? I'm always interested, you know, uh, boredom is a problem in this country. And that's odd to me because that tells me if you're bored, there's a shallowness of spirit. If your spirit is growing dynamically, you won't be bored. And I'm t Jesus told his disciples in Samaria, lift up your eyes. The fields are white to harvest. They had gone into Sychar and hadn't talked to anybody about spiritual things. He'd sat at a well too tired to go get his fast food. And that one woman started a revival sidecar didn't he she said many believed on him because of his testimony and many more followed him out to where jesus was and there believed on him we are living in a day where the international fields are white to harvest i know that in florida and in the united states and the pacific northwest we are fighting culture wars that we're not always winning okay we see morality heading towards gomorrah there is not always a positive slant on what we see in America. But I'm telling you, the church is not dead. The church is growing. 
Next slide. Here's Pastor Pavel Pavlenko. He's one of the national preachers in Ukraine. If you support a preacher through our ministry, you will get a letter quarterly. It takes a while to get all these letters from the outer, uttermost parts of the world, but here's a letter he sent in relationship to this slide. He said, unfortunately, I don't have to write to you that there's a front line in Ukraine. And this is about a year and a half, two years ago. But he said, our church collected food goods and decided to join another group that was helping villages near the war zone. On the way there, we encountered snow and ice, next slide, and our driver lost control and flipped the van over. You know, that would tell me that the Lord is closing the door, it's time to go home. He said, the snow softened our blow, and we crawled out of the van and recovered from the initial shock. We found no one was seriously hurt. Within 30 minutes, a tractor showed up and uprighted our van. Next slide. Right? We do not put that on the short-term missions brochure. <laughs> we reached the village of Gnutsova, and we visited a family that lives only 500 meters from the armed conflict. They are regularly fired upon by pro-Russian separatists. Sometimes shells explode in their garden. They have nowhere to go, no money, so they have, are here hiding in the cellar when the bombardments begin. We shared with them about God. We cried together and prayed for these people. Next slide. That's a picture. Folks, you and I aren't going there. Right? If Paul leads a mission trip to go to Ukraine, go. He won't take you here. All right? There's things to do. There's opportunities. Go. It's a great, great experience. But he won't take you to the war zone. He goes on. He said, we went to two more villages. We got stopped by different armed, armed, uh, armed checks, military uh, pass checks. He said, we got to one village, and there was only 100 to 150 people left in this village. But they held their sort of as hostages, for they have nowhere to go. People admitted that apart from us, no one is coming. There's no utilities. Social security checks are not arriving. They asked us why we had come. We said that God loves this village, and he sent a tractor to keep us on our mission. People came to me and said that they had begun to read the New Testament seeking God. Isn't that great? I mean, I, I hate to see the tragedies that go on in the world. I hate to see death and loss and floods and privations. But before I was afflicted, I went astray. You know that? It is good for me that I've gone through hard times, that I may seek thy word. The Lord's doing things, even in the, hand, and even in the face of tragedy. Honestly, these are the kind of guys I want to support. They really are. Next slide. Here's another man. I've never been here. I've never met him face to face, but I sent a personal friend to Kazakhstan. Now we're getting out there. And uh, he sent a letter sent these photos with the support that he got through, through people here. I mean, in the United States. He loaded up this car. Next slide. And that's literally the frozen wasteland. There's a reason no one lives there. <laughs> Next slide. <laughs> well, I guess someone lives there. <laughs> Next slide. They took all these all this produce, a couple hundred miles, out to a leper hospital. Next slide. That man heard the gospel. 
clear presentation. Someone in his own language traveled 200 miles to give him oranges, apples, bananas, and the truth about where you go when you die. I'm not going there. And for $40, I can support someone in Kazakhstan that does? Money well spent. It enables you to be a co-laborer with the people who are there. Co-labor in fields that are white harvest. Next slide. <clears throat> Hit it again. I married a Russian. I speak Russian. Lived in Moscow for five years, so God sent me to Africa, right? <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. But I didn't give my life to Jesus Christ because he was always logical with me, right? His ways are above my ways. His ways are above your ways. You can trust him. And he dumped me in Africa year after year after year. It went real well for the first 10 years, but I've got malaria twice in the last three visits over there. My wife's a little concerned. I get a little more cavalier every time I go, you know, with the mosquitoes. But look at this, next slide. Can't do that in our schools, next slide. I didn't have a microphone. I needed every ounce of diaphragm I had to reach the edge of that crowd. Next slide. When I said, bow your head for prayer, no one laughed. No one was embarrassed. This is a public school, folks. But you know what's going on in Zimbabwe now? Pretty hard to get there as an American. Pretty difficult to do much work. The only reason I could do, go to this school, and this was several years ago, is because a national preacher was going there that we work with. Next slide. I want to be involved. I don't want to walk through heaven's gates and say, wow, you did so much for me, but I didn't do too much for you. And there's a balance, right? People, people overwork and overextend their lives in ministry when there's a beautiful, beautiful balance of resting and trusting Christ. But sometimes we get comfortable here. And honestly, I'm here to share these slides. That's not a broken, destitute child in the Nairobi ghetto. That is the kid that I don't know his name. And while I was praying, someone took the photo. God gave me a brief snapshot. One day, speaking to his life. But the national preacher's there every week. Next slide. Of course, they all want to shake your hand. Bring your hand sanitizer when you come with me. Next slide. I primarily, uh, Gospel Inc. as a ministry is in eight countries now in Africa. We're in Cambodia. Um, we've got, we were in Vietnam and had a lot of difficulty, and we've, God's redirected us to North Vietnam. Very unique. Um, I mean, you know our country's history. I don't have to explain that. We're working in the former Soviet Union. I personally go to Malawi uh, every year. I went twice last year. Next slide. When I went to Africa, I always thought they were poor because they didn't have anything. And I found Lake Malawi, size of Lake Michigan. And I thought, Lord, we're not using the resources you gave us. We're not, we're not using the resources. And I believe in what Gospelink's doing. If, if I have 10 families come out to my table and sign up to support a preacher, I'll say thank you. This is money for the Lord. This is money for his growing church. It's not money for me. It's not money for our ministry. This is, this is helping national people who are there. 
But I thought, you know what? We need to try to help them develop money for themselves. So about 10 years ago, we bought several hundred acres. Next slide. <clears throat> That's what it looks like on one side. That's what it looks like on the other. Now, I'll warn you, it doesn't always look beautiful and green. Next slide. Sometimes it looks like that. Depends if you go over the dry season or the wet season. Uh, when we bought this land, the closest electricity was 30 miles away. No cell phone reception. They didn't know what 4G was. <laughs> right? Next slide. Paid guys a dollar a day. That's not exploitation. They were glad to have a job. We start paying these guys money, and you know what they do? They buy things like soap, tea, sugar. Now, I'm not sure I'd do that for a dollar a day. But they dug a road in there. Next slide. Eventually, God raised up someone, guess where? In the United States. And they said, you know what? Uh, we'll give money to buy a tractor. It's like, we'll put it to use. Uh, last year, we cultivated over 110 acres. We planted soy, we planted peanuts, we planted maize, which is their staple food. Next slide. What, it, what once was bush is now a farm. Now, you know what this takes? A lot of hard work. I am not into free handouts. God says give to... In fact, there's a place where you give to the poor, but if you read Psalm 41, it says, Blessed is he that considers the poor. I did a word search on that, ver on that verse. And that verb, consider is to evaluate how they got poor and what is the best way to help them out. It doesn't always mean giving it to them. Now, we have a lot of people in the world that don't care about the poor, that exploit the poor, that keep people poor. God condemns that. But um, I'm trying to receive God's blessing in Psalm 41 with tractors and hard work. Next slide. And guess what? Cabbages. Bananas. Those banana trees are one year old. A lot of places I go in America, they're astounded. You're not impressed with banana trees. All right, next slide. Uh, we planted, last year, we planted uh, 30 acres of peanuts. Unbelievable. Next slide. That's actually only off from 13 acres of peanuts. So uh, I'm working for peanuts. <laughs> We sold those for a profit two years ago. When you work in Africa, you take two steps forward and one back. I was so excited because my goal for this project was to become self-sustaining in three years. You know how humbling and how difficult it is to trudge through relationships, politics, just natural breakdowns, misunderstandings, and have actually your vision take eight or nine years and you're not sure it's going to get there but last year i went around and told people that we are self-sustaining if gospel link disappears if i disappear this farm in africa can run itself isn't that great i know but you take two steps forward and two steps back the government passed a law in Malawi where no commodities can be exported. We literally have what was originally priced. We had a contract for $40,000 worth of soybeans. And they called us and said, we can't honor the contract because we have no market for it. 
we'll give you 8,000. It's like, well, we actually spent more than that raising it. So we're no longer self-sustainable. <laughs> but we're not hungry. And sometimes you have to back up and, Lord, and say, Lord, I'm not where I wanted to be. I'm not where I wanted to be with my education or with my finances or in life, right? I've had some hiccups. I've stubbed my toe. I had some setbacks. But you know, I serve someone that sees all that, is higher than that. And if you have a setback, an affliction, or a health problem, you go to him and you praise him and you find something to give thanks for. Because if you love him and you are called according to his purpose, everything is going to work out for good. To the development of your character to be more like his blessed son, Jesus. And as difficult and frustrating as this is for me sometimes, I talk to, some of you know him, my manager, his name is Zachary Cod. I said, Zach, don't be discouraged. You know what God is doing? Maybe we're not doing great financially. Maybe we're not meeting our goals. But God is developing a relationship and a teamwork that is so unique I've never seen it I've never seen it I just got back in November and I told someone I told Olivia I said I have never seen the spirit on this farm more cohesive and more cooperative and more unified than it is now people have gone through trials they've gone through setbacks they know that we're not going to abandon them they understand what their role is. Some of it's maturity, isn't it? Some of it just takes time. We all love the bonfire. We all love the flash. But fruit, folks, genuine fruit in all aspects of life takes time. If you don't have fruit, be patient. Keep sowing. Next slide. That's our equipment. Next slide. <laughs> That's our maze. That's like gold to them. Uh, we had, we, two years ago, we sowed 70 acres of maize and <clears throat> we reaped uh, 70 tons. It's tremendous. Now, if you go to Iowa, they're not impressed with that, <laughs> right? In fact, they say, oh, that's a poor yield. That's great for them. Next slide. Look at that. They're rejoicing. They are so happy. Next slide. Um, some of you know this, and, and this is dear to my heart. Obviously, if I have six kids, I love kids. And uh, we started an orphanage. Wasn't my plan, but the scripture says what? In his light, you'll see light. Sometimes some of you want to know what God's going to do in my future. You know, if God told you everything about your future, you wouldn't need any faith. Right? There is a place where you obey and then trust the Lord to open up the next door. I struggled with that desperately as a young person. But I've learned that we can devise our way, but if we're walking with the Lord and we're walking in the Spirit, He's going to direct our steps. He's not too busy to miss you. You are the apple of His eye. And we found out after four years into this project that we had purchased land where there are 20,000 vulnerable children. 20,000 vulnerable children. You know how many orphanages? None. None, because it's about 50% Muslim. Now, where we are, we're on the southern side of this region. There's only about 20% Muslim people. But 20,000 vulnerable children, I didn't have to pray about that. God brought some people to me. 
and said, let's do something. And we began building cottages. That's what they look like. Uh, again, it's 34 feet by 37 feet, not a mansion, four bedrooms, kind of a living room. But one of the fathers came there that we brought in. He's a national man. He's not an American. And he fell on his knees on the step and began to weep. He said, I never thought I would live in such a place. <laughs> Next slide. Neither did they. But the next slide shows what they look like today. Right? Boy, I like the before and after pictures. Next slide. There's Regina and Precious. That's the first photograph we have of them. We were not, we didn't have our papers in order. We weren't licensed. Social services hadn't okayed us. And the local chief said, come down and get these two kids. And my guy, Shadrach Galatea, said, I can't. We're not, we're not official yet. He said, come see their desperate plight. The little girl's got a cast on her leg, and the woman there is actually not blood-related to them, so she would not feed them when the man was not there. And they were malnourished, not headed to school, filthy. Shadrach said, Dean, I took them, if that's okay. <laughs> Great thing about Africa is you don't have to worry about the red tape. Just do good, <laughs> right? Next slide. That's Regina today. Isn't that great? Tell you that. Next slide. Here's something that came from LifePoint. Money was raised for rabbits. We bought rabbits about 13 months ago. We started, the house cost about $500 to build. Cement's rather expensive. We've got a metal roof on that. Rabbits weren't real expensive, but you've got to have a place to keep them indoors. Next slide, we're up over 100. That's when it was first built. We had a thatch roof on it at first and, and put a metal roof. Next slide. Now, they look cuddly and beautiful, don't they? I hate to tell you, they're eating those rabbits. <laughs> Next slide, right? She's not excited about how happy and furry. She's thinking about her next meal. They've done studies, and in parts of Africa, Africa doesn't have a genetic problem that keeps them underdeveloped. A lot of the children don't get enough protein for their brains to develop. Trying to fix that. Next slide. But that rabbit, uh, that was built from donations you guys gave. How many Americans do you see there? But they're co-laborers. They're co-laborers. And folks, if you're like me, I didn't have a heart for Malawi. I didn't have a heart for Russia because I'm finite. But God so loved the world that he gave his son. And the closer we get to God and the more we delve into his heart, the more that our heart gets bigger for the world. That's just natural. You fall in love with the things that he falls in love with. Next slide. Didn't plan on a school. Oh boy. Next slide. There they are getting ready to go to school. Next slide. Next slide. Can always use people to come over to teach English. Three months, three years, whatever you want to give. If we can teach these children to learn English, English is the national language in this country. It will set them at a higher standard and precedent than people around them. Next slide. 
Here's, a, again, a couple personal stories. Amina had never slept on a mattress before in her life. She was being raised in a Muslim family, if you can call it a family. Basically, there was a middle-aged woman that took care of 13 children. Social services says, man, this woman's doing great, but 13 is too many. So we got two of them. And uh, I was a little frustrated. This is, a, again, a great reminder that you may have plans for the Lord, and you may say, well, I want to do this, I want to do this. But sometimes you just need to obey and pray. I gave them very clear direction. Take children between two years old and four years old. Psychologically, we know that's the best. You don't have to worry about potty training. You don't have to worry about childhood you know, maybe diseases. But two to four, they'll bond with you. They went and got eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds. I mean, Amina had lived with 12 other children in a one-room house, not a one-room bedroom, folks. They all slept on the straw mat on the floor, 13 cord row. What did she learn? She learned to grab. She learned to get. She learned that the one who pushes, the one who dominates wins. This is not the kind of children we want to raise to be godly. My goal is more than just to save them from starvation. I want to raise these children to be mighty in spirit. That's my goal. And when they got these children, I shook my head. like, you guys aren't doing what I told you. And I chewed them out. But, Back home, in my prayer closet, in my heart, I yielded to the Lord. I said, Lord, from the beginning, I've been praying and asking you to send the children you want. Because George Mueller, as great as he was, started an orphanage that was unbelievably paid for, in full, with no debt. And the day he opened the orphanage, nobody showed up. And he was stunned, because there was hundreds of kids in the ghetto. There was a big deal in Bristol. Everyone knew about it. And he said, Lord, where's the kids? And the Lord's Spirit said, you didn't ask me for kids. All you asked me was for brick and mortar and money to feed them. And George Mueller repented and said, okay, Lord, send me the kids that you want. And I learned, I read that story, I said, I don't want to make that mistake. So from the very beginning, I've been praying that God would send the children that he wants. And so I chew out my staff, but on the inside, I say, yes, Lord. I'll take Amina. Next slide. I baptized her. I made it very difficult to be baptized. Because in Africa, they all, you know, their followers, their children. I had about 13 come to baptism class. When it was all over, I only had two left. And the next morning, Amina had a big piece of paper. She got her mama to write in English. I'm going to follow Jesus. <laughs> she looked at me and said, I dare you not to baptize me. <laughs> and she looks a little timid there, but she was actually scared of the water. She can't swim. So, Next slide. Joffrey was very similar. Indolent, 10 years old, broken family, lots of bad habits. Not a juvenile delinquent, not exposed to filth or crime, but just no character, no training. He was the other one that said, I know what it means to follow Jesus and I'm serious. <laughs> Next slide. Folks, it's worth me giving my life for. That's what I'm doing. I get to be a co-laborer for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, most of you aren't going to Malawi. Most of you aren't going to Russia. You live here. He's got a work for you to do. Pray about it. 
seek it. Some of you, he's probably going to touch your heart, say, you know what, I want you to support one of these kids. I want you to support the orphanage. You can do that. We have $30 a month sponsorships for the kids. We have a $50 a month sponsorship to help the farm move forward. Huge donations have come out of this church. We wouldn't be where we are without LifePoint. I'm always a little humble when I come back here because I don't want you to feel like I'm always begging or asking for money. You are part of the foundation of what God's given me a chance to do over there with these national people. Next slide. We'll finish up with this one. I love this story, but Mustafa, I don't need to tell you, is not an English name. Mustafa's Muslim, but his parents are gone and he was living with his granny. His granny's not employed, right? 60% unemployment, they don't hire grandmas. And there's no social security. And she wasn't raising enough vegetables to keep Mustafa fed. He wasn't going to school. Social services says, you need to take this boy. Well, what's interesting is Mustafa's grandmother had seen our compound. Again, it's not high, polluting, fancy. We still don't have electricity. We run off solar panels, right? But she said, I always wondered what would happen there. And so when they came to her place and talked to her, she agreed. It's like, yeah, I would love Mustafa to come to you. But the day we came there, and I wasn't there, but Shadrach was there, and he told me the story. He said, he said uh, we got to Mustafa's house, and Grandma pushed him toward us. He was a little reticent. Said, she said, you know, she pointed her finger, I think. She said, you know, we are dedicated Muslims. We are dedicated Muslims. She said, I want you to take my grandson. Next slide. I want you to, I know you can feed him. I know you can send him to school. And so I want your God to be his God. Now, folks, when you have the Muslims bringing their kids to you, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, but there is a scarred hand that reaches into Africa, it reaches into Vietnam reaches into this county and looks for the poor and the bruised and the brokenhearted and saves them and redeems them. Isn't that great? I loved when you sang this morning about the redeemed. Some of you just lit out and cheered and clapped. You know that tells me? You really know what that means. That is beautiful. God is using us as his co-laborers to redeem kids like Mustafa. He was scared to go into the church. He'd never been in a church. In the mosque, they don't sing. He was scared. He's not scared anymore. Mustafa's got rhythm. <laughs> he dances like the rest of them. Next slide. We'll finish with this. He who sows sparingly will, will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Folks, that's not just about corn or beans or strawberries. It's about good words. It's about blessings. It's about prayers. It's about money. It's about relationships. It's about your education. That is a universal, non-optional principle. All of us are reaping somewhat of what we sowed. Now, I'm sure glad that God made some of my seeds fail. Right? I'm sure glad some of those crops got weeded out. Because he's gracious. We don't always get what we deserve. But there is a principle. And it is a joy to sow into the lives of these national people.
It is a joy to work for the Lord in a spiritual capacity. Again, whether it's a good word, a Bible distributed, a dollar given, you and I get to be co-laborers. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. You know, I told you that uh, we were no longer self-sustainable. Well, that's true. Next slide, last slide. Well, that's a lot of corn. When I went to Malawi and for the first time in 2005, there was major famine, major hunger. They actually have a three-month season where they call it hunger season. It's tragic. Malnourishment, some starvation, not a lot, but it's just sad, right? With the technology we have and the resources we have, why anyone should be hungry. And you know what? God has used us. Maybe we're, not, maybe we're back to the place where we're not self-sustainable, but on those 70 acres, we raised 70 tons of maize. 70 tons. One tractor. A lot of hand weeding, a lot of hand hoeing. We hire over 130 people to do piecework from the surrounding villages. God has opened up doors for me to go in and minister to the Muslim leaders just, just 50 days ago. God's doing something that's more than monetary. You know how much our orphanage consumes every year? Or every month. Let's break it down in a month. You probably don't know how much cornmeal you eat a month, right? Oh boy, they do. They know exactly to the kilogram how much they eat. You know how much is in your bank account, but they know how much is in their garnery. Our orphanage eats half a ton of maize every month. thousand pounds of dried cracked corn. We have 70 tons. I'm not going to be hungry for a while. Folks, that's victory. And all of you have victory in your life. It may not be what you wanted. It may not be the health you had hoped for. But you look through, as this, as this old song says, I can trace the rainbow through the rain and see the promise is not vain. My God shall always be. Let's give thanks. Our Father, oh Lord God, we rejoice and are grateful to you that we can be co-laborers. It's a new year. And we talk about resolutions and new steps forward. Lord God, whether this church gets more involved with uh, the work in Puerto Rico or the work stateside, I pray that you would just bring this understanding, this, in, this impression that we are significant because we are in you. We were worth your blood. We were worth your death. We were worth your sacrifice in your minds, in your mind and in your heart. You loved us enough. And not only did you take us out of the pit, but you set us on a rock and you established our goings. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us the privilege to be your co-laborer. I can't tell everyone here what that is. I can't tell you what God has for you. I've laid out the principle and I expect the Holy Spirit to make it clear and plain to your heart what He wants you to do this month, this year in a further and advanced service for Him. He's worthy to be served. Troy.
be a co-laborer. More than I have, more than I have known, more than I have tasted. I sat there and, oh Lord, I want, I want more. I, I want to be used to be. I want to walk with you. I want to hear you more. And I want to challenge you this morning. Whatever the Holy Spirit's saying to you, would you respond? As a matter of fact, I want to encourage you to do the very thing that the Spirit was leading me. And if He's leading you, then you respond to that. But just simply say, yes, Lord. This year, this month, this this week, this day, and everyone that follows. I'll say yes to whatever you say. Wherever you lead, whatever it looks like, I'll say yes. Dean's right. We can't tell you what that's going to look like. Can't tell you what to do. I, I can't give you a list. I mean, I could, but I shouldn't. But the Holy Spirit's more than capable of showing you. He's more than capable of stirring and speaking. It will cost you something to obey. But really, when it comes right down to it, it really doesn't cost us anything. We exchange the nothing that we have for the everything that He is. Are you willing to make the exchange in a new and a fresh way? If so, tell him this morning. Just tell him. Lord Jesus, again, in a fresh way, I declare by your grace and your power at work in me, Lord, I want to be a co-laborer. I do not want to sow sparingly. I want to sow bountifully. Lord, I want to hear your word more clearly, and I want faith to spring up. I want faith to come. You said that's what happens, that faith comes by hearing, hearing by your revelation, by your rhema. Lord, I want to hear you. I want more faith. God, I want to believe you more fully, more deeply. I'm praying that for each one here today in all of our lives. Lord, I thank you that you are doing good even in the midst of what often seems bad to us. That you're, you're causing all things to work together for good for those who love you. The called according to your purpose. Lord, we're called. Whether we're consciously aware of it, we are called. We have the privilege. And so, Lord, I thank you. I pray that you would do a work, a mighty work, in your people. Multiply it, not just here at LifePoint. Multiply it throughout this community, throughout this state, across this nation, throughout the Western world where we often have a totally different set of priorities. Lord, as we talked about last week, would you give us your grace so we would exchange the American dream for the kingdom. Lord, that's our prayer, our desire. Not to pursue the American dream. Lord, just to seek first the kingdom. So, Lord, do your work in us. Thank you for what you've done. 
And Lord, we believe you will do more. This is who you are. And we praise you. In a moment, we're going to dismiss. We always have prayer partners here. If we can pray with you about anything that God's doing in your life, or just pray for you, it's our privilege to do so. Don't leave without giving us the opportunity to be able to do that for you. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for Dean. I thank you for strengthening him today. In spite of physical weakness and sickness, Lord, I thank you that your grace is greater. I thank you, Lord, that you're faithful and true. And Lord, I pray that you would continue just to, to work through Dean and through Olga, through their family, their children. God, I pray you would continue to do exactly what you said you would do. Thank you for the friendship. Thank you for the relationship. Thank you for what they mean to us as a church and the way you have used them to encourage this body of believers. Lord, we know there is fruit that will last for all of eternity. And we praise you. We thank you for it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.